Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. The sons of Noah who came out of the ark were Shem, Ham and Japheth. Ham was the father of Canaan. These were the three sons of Noah. And from them came the people who were scattered over the earth. Noah, a man of the soil, proceeded to plant a vineyard. When he drank some of its wine, he became drunk and lay uncovered inside his tent. Ham, the father of Canaan, saw his father's nakedness and told his two brothers outside. But Shem and Japheth took a garment and laid it across their shoulders. Then they walked in backwards and covered their father's nakedness. Their faces were turned the other way so that they would not see their father's nakedness. When Noah awoke from his wine and found out what his youngest son had done to him, he said, Cursed be Canaan, the lowest of slaves will he be to his brothers. He also said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem. May Canaan be the slave of Shem. May God extend the territory of Japheth. May Japheth live in the tents of Shem, and may Canaan be his slave. After the flood, Noah lived 350 years. Altogether, Noah lived 950 years, and then he died. And it will be a great help if you can keep those Bibles open. at page 10, Genesis 9. And let's pray together as we turn to God's word. Father, we thank you that your word makes us wise about ourselves, about our hearts, about our world, and it makes us wise about you. And we pray this morning that as we study your word, that you would make us wise, wise that we may live lives that are grace-filled and Christ-reliant and Christ-glorifying. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The way a story ends can have a huge impact on the meaning and significance of the whole story. If you've ever been to the cinema to watch a film, then you'll know how this works. You, you, you could be watching a film all the way through. You think you know how the story will go. You get 90% of the way through the film. And then just at the end, there's a twist at the end can change the whole meaning, the whole significance of the storyline of the film. Uh, we've seen it this week with the, um, with the lander, the, uh, the so-called washing machine that has uh, arrived uh, safely, we gather, on a comet. It's been, uh, it's been quite a week for the team as they've uh, watched their plans unfold at the end of the story, if you like, the, the final few days. But it's been a big story. I gather it's taken 25 years to plan and execute this, this mission. Uh, the actual uh, carrier satellite, the Rosetta satellite, took 10 years to travel from Earth and to, be, uh, to arrive next to this comet. It, it's taken uh, billions, no, sorry, millions of pounds to make it happen. There's a big story unfolding, um, but the final few hours decided the success or failure of that whole plan. 
as scientists uh, waited to hear from the little lander whether it was still alive, whether it was um, doing its work, whether the radio would, would send signals back, the whole thing hung in a balance. How would the ending of the story affect the whole mission? I gather it has uh, gone pretty well. I'm not quite sure. I'm no expert. Um, but we see it, don't we, that the ending of a story can have a huge impact on the whole story, the whole significance of the message. It's true in lots of ways. It's true with the little lander. It's true with lots of films and stories in our lives. And it's true as we come once again for the final time to look at the story of Noah in Genesis. The ending of the story can have a huge impact on the whole message of the story. Uh, if, if you've been with us over the last few weeks, you know that um, two weeks ago we, we left uh, Noah uh, at, a, at a wonderful point. Uh, the world had been uh, recreated. Um, he had survived the, 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 um, the waters of judgment. God had brought him out of the ark and he steps into this new washed, cleansed world. He's given a, a wonderful job to fill and uh, oversee the earth. And um, God has given Noah and his family a wonderful promise and a sign of the promise, a rainbow in the sky. And as the, as the kind of story comes to a close at that point, you think, what a wonderful moment. What a great time to be alive. Uh, so much promise, so much potential. And most people stop there. And they think, what a lovely story. And they close their Bibles. And they think, oh, we've done, we've done the story of Noah. But of course, that is not the end of the story. We've just read the actual end of the story this morning. And this ending of the story has a huge impact on the whole message of the story. If we miss the ending, we miss, in many ways, the heart of the message about Noah. Uh, Verse 18 sets the scene for us. Uh, We read, The sons of Noah who came out of the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Uh, Ham was the father of Canaan. These were the three sons of Noah, and from them came the people who were scattered over the earth. And so what follows in this short but significant passage is a, an account of the legacy of the flood. Uh, we look now at this family, these three sons, and we find out what impact the flood has had on them and the world, and in fact also all of us sitting here today, for we are all descendants of this one family, each of us in different ways as we are gathered here this morning. So what uh, does this ending show us about the whole message of the flood? What does it also show us about ourselves this morning? I've got two points. The first is this. Uh, We see the persistent problem of sin. The persistent problem of sin. The camera lens zooms first on the father, Noah. How would this great man of faith and obedience get on in this recreated world? Verse 20 tells us. Noah, a man of the soil, proceeded to plant a vineyard. When he had drank some of its wine, he became drunk and lay uncovered inside his tent. Now, some have tried to suggest that Noah does nothing wrong here. Uh, Perhaps he's new to wine. Perhaps he's unaware of just how potent wine can be. Maybe he's just having an innocent snooze after lunch. But I just don't think we can let Noah off that lightly. 
We know already from the scriptures that it is not good to be exposed. Think back, if you would, to Genesis 3. When Adam and Eve sinned, they realized that they were naked and, and they were shamed and they tried to cover themselves because it's not good to be uncovered. And it's not good for Noah to uncover himself. It is shameful. Well, consistently in Scripture, we are warned about the excessive consumption of alcohol. And we are warned about the lack of control which comes from doing that. And so even if we don't know all the details of what happened in that tent, the main point is clear. Noah, this heroic figure of faith, this towering example of a man who who walked with God, who stood apart from the rest of the world, who uh, put his trust in God, who endured mockery and who pushed through doubt and who persevered for decades in building the ark. This same man, as his closing chapters of his life begin, this same man is found lying drunk, naked, all alone in his tent. It is a very sad description of a man who has taught us much about faith and obedience. And we see in Noah the persistent problem of sin. You see, the flood has done nothing to deal with this problem of sin. Oh yes, the flood did come in judgment, but we miss the whole point of the flood if we think the flood has fixed the problem of the human heart, the problem of sin, for it is persistent and remains. And Noah follows in Adam's footsteps, just as Adam was given the command to fill a new world and to care for it, so Noah is given a new world and told to care for it. Adam's name means soil or earth, and Noah, we are told, was a man of the soil, Adam, the same word. Adam had a problem with fruit. So does Noah. Adam's sin led to him being naked and shamed. So too Noah. And if our hearts sank at the crushing blow of Adam's first sin, if we wanted to cry out, why would Adam do that? Well, how much more should we cry out at this son of Adam as he too Sins like his forefather. The persistent problem of sin. In recent years, there's been a a huge surge in the number of books that are written to to help us help ourselves. You know, self-help books. You can buy books on almost anything from uh, dieting to uh, being more productive to to empowering yourself to uh, dealing with stress, being more organized. You know, the, the list goes on and on. Uh, I even bought one of these uh, self-help books recently. Uh, It's a book on being organized and efficient. It's called uh, Getting Things Done. Unfortunately, I've been so unorganized and so busy, I haven't actually had a chance to read the book yet, but um, perhaps I should read it after this sermon. But one of the key messages that these books so often convey to us is this. The books say, okay, there may well be a problem in your life. That's, That's typical. It often happens. But the key to solving the problem lies somewhere within you. This book will help you discover your potential. It'll help you to unlock that key that uh, that brings out the best in you. Uh, You have within you all that you need to make your life work better. 
But do you see just how at odds this is with Genesis 9? The solution to our problem does not lie within us. No, what lies within us is the source of our problem, the human heart. Experts tell us that the reason why there's so much evil in the world is because of a lack of education or a lack of opportunity in life. And they tell us that if we just do a better job of educating people, if we give people better opportunities in life, well, we'll find that the world becomes a better place and that evil is pushed to the margins of society. But it's not true. Was there ever a man who had a better education than Noah? least in terms of spiritual matters. He had a front row seat as God judged the world. He had direct access to to a God who promised and then kept his promise. He was fully aware of the awesomeness of God's power to save and to judge. There has never been a man with a better access to God and his power and his ways. Noah was a well-educated man in that sense. Or was there ever a man who had a better opportunity in life? God give Noah the whole world. It's empty at this point. How much potential is that? Go into the whole world and fill it and be fruitful and care for it. What a wonderful opportunity. But with all his education, all his first-hand experience of God, all his opportunity, he gets drunk and lies naked in his tent. As the story draws close to a close for Noah, we see in Noah and in his heart the persistent problem of sin. We realize that sin clings to us. It remains rooted in our hearts. We realize that the flood has done nothing to deal with that heart problem I think there is a particular challenge for those of us here who have been Christians for for many years. Notice the timing of Noah's sin and shame. Now, now Noah's always been a sinner. He doesn't become a sinner at this point, but we see here in, in, in Noah's later life a particular manifestation of that heart in a very uh, sad and public way. It comes after much service and faith. You see, uh, sin hasn't gone away for Noah. It's not like Noah, as he gets older and older, becomes more and more uh, godly and sin somehow slips away from uh, from his heart. No, this side of glory, sin never leaves our hearts fully. Uh, Yes, we have the spirit to help us, but there's always a battle. And as we look at Noah, we realize that we must not become complacent in our own dealings with sin. And in fact, it's so often later on in life that the temptations can become stronger or they certainly can change. You can almost imagine Noah saying, I've had a busy life. It's been a hard life. I've, I've served God faithfully. I've, I've put my family first. I've done difficult things. I've stood up against the crowd and I'm tired and I just deserve some me time, some Noah time, just a little bit of comfort, of, of coasting, of, of lie-ins and just rest and a bit of fun on the side. It would be so reasonable, wouldn't it? But we must be so wary of the me time mentality in the Christian life, particularly as we go on in the years as a Christian. 
Uh, perhaps the children have left home. Perhaps retirement has come. Perhaps we have uh, more time, more money than we've ever had before. And now after all the years of good service, we think it's time for some me time, for some coasting. It happens so very easily. But the example of Noah is a warning to us about what happens if we do that. Past faith, past service, past watchfulness is no substitute for present faith, present service, present watchfulness. And Noah, the great man of faith, when the world was watching, was able to stand firm and be obedient. But in the privacy of his own tent, when the heat was off, when the crowds had gone, that's when he succumbed to sin. And the danger is there for us too. When we feel the heat is off, when we feel we finally have time to rest, when we step back from the front line, that is often when we are at our most vulnerable the persistent problem of sin. Well, that's Noah. What about his sons? Verse 22. Ham, the father of Canaan, saw his father's nakedness and told his two brothers outside. It seems the sin of the father is also at work in the sons for uh, what Ham does is wrong. Uh, he gossips. He uh, tells his brothers outside what he's found inside. He spreads the news about Noah's shame. Gossiping is nothing new. It's right here in the ninth chapter of the Bible. And we see it again and again in the scriptures. It's in our DNA. And it's so tempting, isn't it? When we come across a bit of information, some insight to someone else's private life that is a matter possibly of vulnerability, of shame, it's just so tempting to want to share that with other people because it puts us at the center and gives us power over other people. But gossip is deeply offensive to God. Ham is a gossip, and also he does not honor his father. He should have covered his father's nakedness and shame, and yet he doesn't. In fact, he does the opposite. He exposes his father further to shame. And so as we look at this family, this legacy of those who have survived the flood, who have now given the job of filling the earth, this family from whom we uh, take our DNA and our heritage from, we find a family for whom the persistent problem of sin remains. But that is not all we see as we look at this family. There is good news. Uh, Secondly, we see God's persistent plan of grace. God's persistent plan of grace. At first glance, it doesn't look as if there is much grace in this passage. There doesn't seem to be much hope. But as we look further and look at the details, I think we see God's persistent plan of grace shining through what happens next. We looked at how Ham reacted to his father's nakedness. Well, look how the other two brothers respond. It's there in verse 23. But Shem and Japheth took a garment and laid it across their shoulders. They, they walked in backwards and covered their father's nakedness. Their faces were turned the other way so that they would not see their father's nakedness. Ham proclaimed his father's shame 
the other two sons cover their father's shame. And we've seen this before again in scripture. Back in Genesis 3, Adam and Eve uh, sinned uh, naked and shamed. And we read later on in Genesis 3 that God made garments for them to cover their shame. That was a sign of grace back in Genesis 3, that God would cover over the shame of his people. And so too here we see two sons covering their father's shame with a garment, a further sign of grace. And Noah is not the ultimate rescuer. He's currently lying drunk on the tenth floor. He is not the true Adam who will restore the world and deal with sin. He cannot do it because of his own sinful hearts. He can't even cover himself, let alone the sins of others. But as his sons cover their father's sins, so we see God's persistent plan of grace. For as we trace Shem's line through the Bible, we find that there is one offspring of Shem's line who would come to provide a permanent, once-for-all covering for sin. For Shem's line... Uh, is the Jewish people, the the family of Israel. And finally, after many centuries, there comes a true son of Shem who is able to cover the sins of others. Listen to how the author of Hebrews describes this descendant of Shem. Hebrews 2, verse 17. For this reason, he, Jesus, had to be made like them, fully human in in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in, in service to God, And that he might make atonement, that is, a covering for the sins of the people. Do you see God's persistent plan of grace? He is a God who covers the shame of his people again and again and again. And finally and wonderfully in the person and work of Jesus Christ. I take it that God knew that Noah would do this before he chose Noah to build the ark. I take it God knew that all along the flood would never change Noah's heart or the hearts of his sons. I take it that God knew all along that Noah would need a covering for sin. And that is God's persistent plan of grace. He uses people like myself and like the rest of us here today, people who he knows are sinners, and yet somehow he uses us in his service, despite our sin, and he wonderfully covers our shame with the blood of Jesus. And there may be some here this morning who are particularly aware of that persistent problem of sin in your own hearts. Uh, it's not just once or, or twice or three times, but there's been a whole life of, of, of habits that are hard to break, of a, of a heart that just won't submit to Christ. And, and we're here this morning and we're, we're ashamed of how we know our hearts have been uh, reflected in our actions. Well, take heart in the news of God's persistent plan of grace, for that is the kind of people God uses. God is good at covering over the sin of sinners and finding a way to restore them and to cover their shame. So let us not run from God this morning if we do feel that in our hearts. Let us rather run to God and find cover for our shame and our sin. We've had a wonderful uh, physical reminder of how that works um, in baptism with with water that that cleanses physically, uh, pointing to the the work of Christ that cleanses us spiritually of all sin. 
washing away all wrongdoing. God's persistent plan of grace. And there is one final further insight into this plan of grace as we finish. Noah finds out what Ham has done. And and he curses Ham's family line. Verse 25, he says, Cursed be Canaan. The lowest of slaves will he be to his brothers. And as history unfolds, we find this happening. So so Ham's descendants become the Canaanites living in the promised land. And then uh, Shem's uh, line, Israel, they come and they fight the Canaanites. There's a battle and um, Israel overcome the Canaanites. They enslave the Canaanites. Uh, Not always because of sin. It's it's not a clear-cut thing. But we do see this promise being worked out in history. Noah's curse is not some kind of magic, as if in and of himself Noah makes this happen. But I think Noah has an insight from God about what will happen in the future, and he speaks in line with what God's will will be for his sons. That's Ham's line. But what about Shem? What about Japheth? Well, verse 26 continues. Noah also said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem. May Canaan be the slave of Shem. May God extend the territory of Japheth. May Japheth live in the tents of Shem. And may Canaan be his slave. Scholars have uh, searched in vain for years to find a time in history when this promise has come to pass. Japheth, uh, his descendants are the Indo-Europeans, those races that live around the Mediterranean Sea. Shem's line, the Jews, the people of Israel. When have these two races come together and lived in harmony under one tent as one people? When has this promise come to pass? And some have said it never has. And they question the authority of the promise. But as we look forward to the New Testament, we know when this happens. Ephesians 2 talks about the great dividing wall of hostility between Jew and Gentile that Christ has broken down through his death. That is the wall between Japheth and his descendants and Shem and his descendants. God has found a way to bring enemies together as friends. God is good at bringing diverse and different people together, unifying them around one person, that is Jesus Christ. And this promise is just a little uh, seed that will bear great fruit ultimately in the work of Christ as uh, Noah predicts that these two lines will come together in peace and harmony, harmony and unity. And so even here, just this little echo, this little shadow, we find that God's persistent plan of grace is already up and running, already being unfolded in history. The way a story ends can have a huge impact on the meaning and significance of the story. I guess in many ways we wish that the story of Noah had finished with the rainbow. When the world seemed good and God was at peace with the world and all looked rosy. And yet the story does continue. And we've seen this morning that there is sorrow and there's also something wonderful This ending shows us that the flood was never meant to fix the problem of sin. The flood shows us that no amount of fresh starts, no amount of self-control and human effort, even the most awesome and wonderful experiences of God will ever change the human heart. 
But the flood does prepare us to understand the shape and dimensions and power of the real Savior when he comes. He will be like Noah. He will be a rescuer of God's people through judgment. But he will do what Noah could never do. He will deal once and for all with the persistent problem of sin through his persistent plan of grace. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the truth of this passage, for the way that it exposes our hearts for what they are. Father, we know that this is what our hearts are like, that they are persistently geared towards sin. Father, we thank you that you know us. We thank you that you know that's what our hearts are like. And we thank you that your plan of grace triumphs over our sin. We thank you for that one final great son of Shem who provides that one final great covering for our sin. And we praise you for all that that means for us. In Jesus' name, amen.